There's an inscription that used to be written in Latin in a lot of violins, I think it was in the Victorian era maybe, that roughly translated says something like, when I was alive, I stood mute in the forest. Now in death, I sing. And, you know, I think I was just sitting there kind of thinking about that, and I thought, I'll bet that's not how the tree feels about it. Welcome to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. I'm Joe McHugh. And during this series, I will talk to violin makers, restorers, and others who make sure the violin family of instruments continue to be part of our lives. I will also talk to musicians who play a wide variety of styles, from classical to jazz, from bluegrass to rock. One of those musicians is Lori Lewis, a gifted fiddler and award-winning songwriter. I have known Lori for many years, and have always been impressed with her intelligent and heartfelt artistry, as well as her sense of humor. Not long ago, we met up at a festival, and I recorded our conversation about her relationship with the violin and about two of her songs that draw from that ancient spring from which all true inspiration flows. But let's get in the mood first by listening to Lori's rendition of the folk song, Weevely Wheat. So the fiddles really defined your life in a lot of ways. In fact, at one point you said if it wasn't for the fiddle and the music, you'd probably been a reclusive writer. I think you told me that at some point. That's one of the things I might have been, yeah. <laughs> I suppose that's true, yeah. So give me a sense of uh, how the fiddle came into your life. Well, the fiddle came into my life just simply because my parents told me when I was 12 that I should play a musical instrument, and they had picked the violin for me. So I, being a dutiful daughter at that time in my life, said, okay. And uh, my dad played the flute, and my older sister played the flute. So it sort of seemed like violin was next. And they said I had a good ear, so violin was their chosen instrument for me. And Actually, I, they gave, my first violin was one that was given to me by um, some friends of the family. And um, it was a very, one of those funky German violins where the, the neck and the uh, end block are of the same piece of wood, and it didn't have any corner blocks inside, and it was a very cheap fiddle. 
But I played that for a little while, and then I got a better one. But that that cheap fiddle is what got me interested later on in um, working on violins and working in a violin shop and uh, even bringing more violins into my life. And why? Well, I met a violin maker, Bob Scoville, at a fiddle contest when I was in my early 20s. And he asked if he could look at the violin I was playing, my fiddle, and um, he, it had had a, a net graft, and he took the scroll. It was like, it was loose. The net graft was loose, and he just took the scroll and wiggled it and said, you need to fix this. I go, oh, <laughs> okay. And um, so I didn't have any money. I was just like working at a gas station and, you know, playing fiddle. And I didn't have any money to to pursue really getting it fixed. But he said, well, I how about you come to the shop and you can clean up and you can do this and that and um, I'll fix the instrument for you for free in exchange. So I said, okay, and I worked that off and then I brought in that old fiddle that I had. And he said, well, this is a perfect instrument to learn on, to learn repairs on because it needs everything. And you can learn from the inside out, you know, how, how to, um, cut corner blocks and fit what a corner block is supposed to look like and what an end block is supposed to be like. And and you can graft a neck onto that scroll and uh, rebush the pegs and cut the neck down and set it. And it just went on and on and on. And so I, after I got done with that instrument, he gave me a job. <laughs> so you probably put a bass bar in that? I put a bass bar in. That's right. It had a... Um, it was very funky, and the bass bar was just a piece of the top wood. You know, it just been, like, gouged out. So, yeah, I pretty much rebuilt that whole fiddle. Where's that fiddle now? I sold it to a guy named David Gorelick, also known as Gus Gorelick, who had a, a Fiddle and Zone radio show for many years in Katati, California, and he still plays that fiddle. He likes it a lot. So... What fiddle are you playing now? I have um, a Jerome Squire made in Boston in uh, 1898, I think, or 1896. I'd have to look at the label again to make sure. But it's a, I love it. I just love this fiddle. And um, it's a very robust fiddle. It's got a really deep tone on the G string. And the way I got this fiddle is um, a friend of mine works in a violin shop in Missouri and he came out to see another friend of mine and brought out a bunch of fiddles because this guy was interested in buying a fiddle from him. So he brought out like five fiddles and um, the guy played them all and he chose the one he liked and I said, well, let me see what else you have. <laughs> and I picked that thing up and just played it and it just was like it, you know, you hold a fiddle right up under your chin and against your collarbone and I drew the bow across it, and it felt like it just reached inside me and squeezed my heart. It just felt like it was, oh, my God, that's the sound. So I bought it. And I was still, like, thrilled that everybody has such different attractions to the instruments, you know, that the guy who, who had his choice of all these instruments just passed that one up. He just didn't go for it at all. And for me, it's the, it is the instrument. I love that fact. I, there, yeah. It's that element of destiny yeah. really seems to be in this. Well, a good segue into the uh, the song you wrote, The Maple's Lament. 
I wrote The Maple's Lament at a time when I had bought Bob Scoville's violin shop and moved it and opened it under, uh, you know, I was running the shop at that point. And um, it didn't have a big advertising budget, so it's like nobody knew there was a violin shop there. <laughs> nobody showed up. Uh, I had a lot of free time on my hands and a lot of fiddles to look at. So um, I... I was just sitting there and I, you know, there's an inscription that used to be written in Latin in a lot of violins, I think it was in the Victorian era maybe, that roughly translated says something like, when I was alive, I stood mute in the forest. Now in death, I sing. And, you know, I think I was just sitting there kind of thinking about that. And I thought, I'll bet that's not how the tree feels about it. You know, because uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big tree hugger, <laughs> and um, I so I just, uh, it it just the idea of it of the song came to me, and uh, I just started writing it down, or maybe I didn't even write it down. I just uh, sang the words over and over until I memorized it, and uh, I you know I closed up the shop, I drove home singing the song the whole way. And I got home, and there's a friend of mine visiting from out of town. And I said, hey, Ray, I just I made up this song, listen. And this guy, he's a big guy. He's like 6'4", or something like that, great big tall guy. And um, I sang it for him, and he started crying. And I go, all right. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> it's a good song. Um, but it was just sort of, I think, to set the record straight in my mind, you know, to have a different point of view than the, than the um, anthropomorphic point of view of, uh, you know, the, the tree's destiny is to become a violin that somebody plays. But uh, the, the tree would much rather be a tree. Your decision to record it using the hardanger? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little about that. I first just sang the song a cappella, and I think it was my friend Beth Weil that said, you should accompany yourself on the fiddle on that song. And so I um, I tried to, I, I practiced playing the, playing the fiddle along and, and singing it at the same time. But I got very, very lucky, and I had bought a Hardanger fiddle, a Norwegian Hardingfelle, which has four strings on top that you play, but it also has five sympathetic strings that run under the fingerboard and through the middle of the bridge, and they just resonate sort of like a sitar uh, when you're bowing it. So I thought, well, I will, I'll try it on the Hardanger fiddle. And it really was a magic feeling I, to, to have the, just those ringing tones, and it made it a lot easier actually to sing and play in tune with all those overtones ringing at the same time. So it was kind of a, a leg up, in fact. So when I decided to record it, it was obvious that I was going to rec record it with the Hardanger fiddle. It's still much easier to play on the Hardanger than it is on a regular fiddle because it's a, the Hardanger is so much less strident. It's so sort of forgiving when you, when you play it. And a, and a regular fiddle, even if you, you, I tune up the G string to an A, so it's got more sort of ring to it. 
and I play it in A. But even so, it's it's a little more to wrestle with under your chin and to sing against than the Hardanger fiddle. And your your own ancestry. That's right. I'm half Norwegian, so that in fact that's why I ended up with this fiddle. Um, I used to play at this bar called Paul's Saloon in San Francisco, and right next door to it was a music store called The Fifth String, and a Dane by the name of Richard Keltson uh, ran The Fifth String music store, and he used to tease me about being Norwegian because, you know, and he would call me a Swede, you know, <laughs> it just, I don't know, it's, it was uh, just just a sort of a ribbing that that he and I always uh, went through. And one day, I, I, I actually I won a fiddle contest up in Cloverdale in Northern California, and I won $300. And when I got home, there was a phone message from Richard, and he said, hey, I have something I think you might like at this shop. Come on in when you have a chance. So I went in the next day, and he said, this guy came in the other day, and he told me he had a humdinger. <laughs> And and he, and he said, of course, I knew immediately what it was, uh, and uh, I I bought it from him. So now I have it, and uh, I'll sell it to you if you if you want it. I said, how much is it? He said, well, how much do you want to pay? I go, um, three hundred dollars, because I had just won three hundred dollars. And he goes, okay. And I've always wondered if if I had said one hundred and fifty, if he would have said okay or whatever, but. Uh, there went my prize money, and I came home with a Hardingfele, made in 1921 in Bergen, Norway. Lovely fiddle. You'd have gotten that $300 a lot quicker than that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You still have it? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I definitely have it. I don't travel with it. I have too many other things to travel with, you know, too many other instruments, a guitar and a fiddle and sometimes a banjo and... So I don't really take it out, but every once in a while I take it out and, pl and play it. Let's listen now to Lori as she performs The Maple's Lament. And all the world 
But now that I am dead, the birds no longer sing in me. And I feel no more the wind and rain as when I was a tree. But bound so tight in wire strings, I have no room to grow. And I am but the slave who sings when Master draws the But sometimes from my memories I can sing the birds in flight And I can sing of sweet dark earth And endless starry nights But oh my favorite song of all I truly do sunlight sang to me while dancing on my leaves I'm looking at a lot of people here that are at the festival and seeing the age, you know, the years. And 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 then seeing the young people coming in who have all those abilities and thinking about physicists. You know, they say they peak at 22 or 23, <sighs> that idea. But something happens, of course, with me at my age where the fiddle is taking on a whole other meaning, a whole other relationship, and it's very satisfying. I don't feel at all that I'm losing anything. I'm not anxious about that. Uh, you've made your living with the violin, of course, with your songwriting and your singing and and other musicianship. But so, w what's going on with the fiddle in your life now? Do you see changes in the way you play it? Uh, let's see. You know, I have a kind of a love-hate relationship with the fiddle, actually. Early on, when I was a teenager, I had a kind of a rough patch with the instrument. My parents went through a really terrible divorce. My dad wanted me to keep playing. My dad was kind of the enemy. I didn't want to do anything my dad wanted me to do, but I didn't feel like I could actually like stop <laughs> playing. So I, and, and I had a, a teacher who was a very volatile Czechoslovakian lady who um, just, I used to cry at my lessons, you know, because I wouldn't practice. And she would go, darling, why don't you practice? And, and you know, I would just be just, ugh, I had so much angst about playing the instrument. And it took me until I was in my late 20s, I think, to not 
to get over that sort of um, fear every time I would pick up the, the instrument. Even when I switched to fiddling, which was a lot more freeing to me and wasn't necessarily what my dad wanted me to do, and, and so it was freeing in many ways. So it, it took me many years to sort of um, be able to relax with the instrument. And you have to be relaxed to play the, the fiddle. And then I was doing really, really well, but about um, 20, 20 years ago, last year, I was in a bad car accident, and I fractured a couple of vertebrae on my back, and I did had some nerve damage in my left hand and my arm, and playing the violin became very painful to me. But it was the way I made a living, and I kept playing. And um, But I wasn't excited about playing anymore. So I just kind of did that for a while, and, it, and I did, didn't really practice <laughs> because it hurt to practice. And that's not very good. If you're a fiddle player, you got to keep up on the instrument, you know. So I went through a kind of a, a, a rough patch with me and my fiddle. But uh, I don't know about six years ago or so now I I started playing guitar mostly in the band and I got Chad Manning on fiddle we've been kind of plotting trying to figure out how to play music together for a long time for you know 15 years or something we'd been trying to sort of courting each other trying to figure out what to do <laughs> and I finally just go I, I'll play guitar and you play fiddle and you know, it opened up so many uh, doors to me. It freed me up so much as a singer in the band because then suddenly I had control over where the the groove is in the band. And plus, I got the advantage of this wonderful backup fiddling behind my singing, which I had just been missing all the time. So it was a great thing for me. And since then, I've become a much more relaxed person. <laughs> And when I play the fiddle, I really love it. And I've worked a lot on getting my back in better shape, and it doesn't hurt so much anymore either. So things are good with me and the fiddle now. But I'm not playing as much as I, as I used to. But when I play, I thoroughly enjoy it. And do you think with, with age, you, you have a different understanding of the music, of the fiddle itself? Well, I, I think so. I, you know... There are so many incredible young players, and I mean, I'm never going to be able to compete with the technique that these people bring to the instrument that started when they were, you know, in the womb playing the fiddle, or shortly thereafter anyway. But that doesn't bother me at all. I, I've sort of reconciled to the fiddle just being an extension of my voice and... uh I sing and I play the fiddle and it's sort of like one and the same thing in a way. It's just an organic part of me and I don't worry about knocking people out. I mean, I want to be able to comport myself well on the instrument, you know, when I'm when I'm performing, but I I I know that I'm not I'm I guess I'm uh at ease with the fact that you know, I'm, I'm just not 
as good as the fiddle players these days. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. I do other things. I was at a concert in uh, Wisconsin, way up in the middle of nowhere, and there were some really good bands there. I'm trying to think one. I think Seldom Seen came through and played, and it was not a festival you would expect them to play at. But uh, then a young band got up, and this young guy, and he he was probably 20, 21, and boy, just anything he wanted to do on the fiddle. He could do it backwards, sideways, up or down. And I was sitting... Uh, for whatever reason, in the tent, because it was pretty sunny out, where the sound guy was. And the sound guy was this old grizzled guy with a beard and everything. And I'm thinking, I was enjoying the music, but there was something really missing. I didn't know what it was, but I wasn't going to say anything. And the guy finished and got off stage, you know, thunderous applause. And this old guy turned to me and he went, he hasn't had his heart broken yet. <laughs> yep. There you go. That's one of the things. Uh, great fiddle story. And fiddles, all these fiddles that came through your life, or fiddle that got away that you now really do wish you still had, or, or one you were pleased to get rid of. <laughs> you know, I have, I, there, for me, there's been fiddles that I've totally loved and fiddles that I just don't care about and um, fiddles that I actively dislike. But it's sort of like people, you know? You gather, you, you gather around the ones you love and... Um, if, you know, you can't own them all, of course, but you appreciate them when they're around and you, you love to hear them played. And uh, the ones I don't care about, I just don't have anything to do with. <laughs> and I don't, I have to say, I don't think I've, uh, I have felt any supernatural connection with any of the fiddles. Like there hasn't been a cursed fiddle or a or anything like that in my life. But there's certainly been fiddles that I'm very attracted to and attached to. And um, I'm lucky in that I've gotten to keep some of those around. There's there's a few that, that got away that I still wish I had. But, you know, I mean, how many fiddles can you play? And somebody else has got to play them, you know? Because they, they really don't sound good if they don't get played. That's right. They need to be They need to be played. Right. They need to be exercised, yeah, not exorcised. <laughs> well, you know, you are unusual in this sense, too, that you play, but you've also been a, a violin shop owner. Mm -hmm. So how difficult it is to sell a violin that you don't care a nickel about? You just don't, and yet someone's looking at it, they're kind of looking to you, and yet you're saying, well, you know, is it fiddle that works for you? Because it could. Yeah, yes. Um, well, see, that's one of the reasons I was not a good violin shop owner. I mean, it really is. I did not. I do not have the the salesman bone in my body, and um, if I didn't like a fiddle, well, you can be sure it would have a very inexpensive price on it, and, <laughs> and um, somebody would get it because the price was right. But uh, you know, I would always try and steer people towards towards the instruments that I particularly liked. And I always would, would try and get a good instrument into the hands of a player who I thought needed a better instrument. And I would work out all kinds of creative arrangements financially for people to, to get their hands on the fiddles. So I was not a good, good salesman, a good owner of a shop. But I did get some good fiddles into good hands, and I'm proud of that. That's lovely. That's lovely. Do you want to talk about the bear? 
uh, dream and the the bears were playing the fiddle in the dream? Because um, I have been asked somebody else about do they ever dream about the violin, the player? And that was an interesting question. But I just do, you, is, do I, I, could, I remember I that? I can talk about it. Well, it wasn't exactly like that, but I could talk yeah, about it. Yeah, I remember it. it was a little different yeah. than that. You were okay. Had gone for a walk or. A, I went to see a movie. I saw, I saw this great um, Kurosawa film, Dersu Usala. I don't know, if, uh, some people out there probably remember that film. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's really wonderful. And uh, uh, Dersu, the character in the, in the movie was um, a hunter, uh, a very sort of a primitive guy who, it's the story of Dersu as told through this um, guy who's a surveyor in way out in uh, northern China, eastern part of Russia, somewhere at, um, out there, the Kamchatka Peninsula or something. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. And when I came back from that movie, I just sat with my fiddle and I made up this tune. And to me, it was connected with the with the movie in some way and uh, I, I like the tune it's very sort of very modal tune and I thought oh this is a really good fiddle tune and I went to sleep that night and I had this dream and it was a, an amazing sort of shamanistic dream about being in the forest with a bear and the hunters were looking for us and the bear and I were running through the forest and I was following him and it was just you know one of those amazing things where he would leap over logs and I could leap right after him and and uh, we went around this area hiding from the hunters and I, I woke up I was just very energized by this and it was very much alive in my mind still when I woke up and I realized thinking about it that the character of Dersu Uzala was very bear-like, and that's why I'd had the dream, because of the movie. Because and and then the movie was tied with this fiddle tune I'd made up. Then I had this dream about this bear that tied back to that, and I was playing the tune for my friend Steve Patier, and Steve said, "I think you should make up lyrics for it." And uh, well, does that mean that the fiddle tune doesn't stand on its own as a tune? <laughs> but once I got past that sort of thing, I, I started thinking about it, and I um, was also, I have to say, have to give credit to a book I had as a kid that my dad had given me called um, True Bear Stories by Joaquin Miller. And in that um, storybook, there's a story about bears in... Oregon and the woods in Oregon and that's basically Joaquin was a kid at the time and he was traveling with his father and his uncle through the woods in Oregon and they stopped to camp for the night in the woods and uh, Joaquin's uncle was a fiddler so he's sitting around the fire just playing the fiddle and at one point Joaquin's father kind of nudges him and, and they point he points to the periphery of the firelight and they're surrounded by bears. The bears are like sort of sitting there on sort of on their haunches watching them and listening. And uh, Joaquin's uncle became aware of them and he started to put down his fiddle and reach for his gun. 
But Joaquin's dad said, no, no, just keep playing. So he did. He just kept playing, and the bears eventually just melted back into the forest. You know, they checked it out, and that was enough. And I always say, you know, if you've heard one fiddle tune, you've heard them all. So <laughs> it gets a little boring after a while, maybe. But uh, that idea of bears being attracted to fiddles got in there, too. And I just sort of made up this story in my head. And I, I remember thinking about it and carrying it around in my head for maybe a, a few weeks. And, and suddenly, at one point, I just sat down and I wrote it all out. And it's like eight, or eight verses or nine verses or something. It's a long song. And it just poured out, just almost without any correction, the whole story. It had just been kind of percolating in my brain. And it fits really well, I think, with the tune. So that's the story of the bear song. Yeah, and some years later, I was talking to Jody Stecker, because I'm interested in the origin of fiddle tunes very much in the folklore. And there's that tune, Flannery's Dream, from uh, eastern Kentucky, where a fella keeps trying to win a fiddle contest. And he can never win the fiddle contest, but he gets second place. He gets third place. Mm-hmm. So he knows he's got the skill, but he gets it in his head, you know, I just don't have a unique enough tune to impress the judges. I'm playing Forked Deer. I'm playing mm-hmm. Ragtime Annie, whatever the popular tunes were. And one night before a big fiddle contest, he has a dream of a bear chasing him through the wood playing the fiddle. Wow. And he wakes up in a cold sweat from being chased, but the tune is so there in his mind that he then goes to the contest, plays that tune, and wins. And that's come down through that family. I mean, that really is a a pretty genuinely family story fiddle tune and a great tune. And, uh, and, And when I mentioned that, Jody Stecker said, well, you really need to listen to Lori's tune because structurally, they're both real modal tunes. She said, I, he says, I see them as the, almost the same tune. He oh, knew yeah. both tunes. And that's when, that's why at that workshop we did at Strawberry one year, I kind of, we talked a little bit about this, but isn't that cool? That is really cool. Yeah. 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 And who knows? I mean, maybe I heard that tune. Maybe I heard that story. I don't remember ever hearing that story before you told me, but, um, uh, Maybe they got in there somewhere. Or maybe there's just a connection between fiddles and bears that is just in the human psyche, and every once in a while we just tap into it. Thank you. Thank you. The townsfolk call him Moon Mad John, a brother to the best. Well, now Moon Mad John has a tale to tell to all who said why. The children listen eagerly while the grown ups only smile. traps one day when a storm come howling from the north and I did lose my way well I soon was cold and hungry and the darkness did come down I knew my death was closing in and the wolves were howling round so I wandered round as in a daze and I fell down on the ground I don't know how long I lay there when I was wakened by a sound 
lightning strike if I'm alive. I saw big shadows moving slow in the flickering of the fire. Oh, well, the bears were all together there dancing and playing fiddles. And the finest fiddler I ever did see was the big bear in the middle. Listening to Lori's song makes me wonder if there might not be a connection between the violin and the animal kingdom. Over the years, I have seen violins and pictures of violins that had scrolls that were carved into the likeness of an animal's head, the most common being a lion, such as those carved by the 17th century German violin maker Jacob Stainer. Hardanger fiddles often have a lion head scroll as well, some wearing a crown. And that reminds me of a Mongolian musician named Lee Bo, who I met at the Northwest Folklife Festival in Seattle a decade or more ago. My wife Paula and I were performing at the festival. I play fiddle and Paula plays the banjo. And we attended Lee Bo's evening concert and were mesmerized by the sound of his instrument, a bowed two-stringed instrument that is played while being held between the knees. It is called in Mongolia a morinkur, and in English a horsehead fiddle. The name came as no surprise, because the scroll at the top of the peg head of the instrument was carved into the striking likeness of a horse's head. For part of his concert, Libo accompanied a Mongolian storyteller, who told the tale of how the horsehead fiddle came to be. She told of a poor young peasant boy named Su Ho, who lived with his grandmother, and who one day found a starving white colt out on the steppe, and nursed it back to health. In time, the colt grew to be the most beautiful and fastest horse that anyone had ever seen, and Su Ho and the horse were devoted to each other. But then the governor of the province announced his plans for a great horse race. 
The prize for the winner of the race, he proudly announced, would be the hand of his daughter in marriage. So Su Ho entered the race with his white horse and won. But being only a peasant, the governor laughed at the notion that Su Ho should marry his daughter. He even ordered his guards to whip the boy and send him home, while he, the esteemed governor, kept the white horse for himself. But the very first time the governor attempted to ride the horse, the horse bucked him off and galloped away. The horse ran like a gust of wind across the steppe, determined to get home to his young master. The governor and his men chased after the horse, but when they realized they could not catch him, the governor ordered his archers to shoot the animal. At last the white horse reached Su Ho, but he had lost so much blood from the arrow wounds that he soon died. The boy was devastated, the sorrow so great that he could neither eat nor sleep. After a week, however, from sheer exhaustion, Su Ho fell into a sleep and had a dream. In the dream, Su Ho was stroking the mane of the white horse, and the horse spoke to him. The white horse told Su Ho to use his bones, hide, tendons, and hair to make a musical instrument. That way, whenever Su Ho was sad, he had only to play the instrument, and the spirit of the white horse would come to him and comfort him. And that is how the Morin Kerr, the horsehead fiddle, became a cherished part of Mongolian culture. Well, later that evening, after the concert, Paul and I and some friends were playing music, and Lebo asked if he could join us. Of course, we were thrilled. I played some American fiddle tunes I learned while living in West Virginia, and Lebo played along, the haunting tones of his horsehead fiddle, weaving in and out among the notes of those old modal tunes from the Appalachian Mountains. It was one of those magical evenings playing music I shall never forget. And as we parted, Lebeau gave us a CD of his music as a gift. Here, then, is the melody he played to accompany the story of the horsehead fiddle. If you listen closely, you can hear the different parts of the story being told through the music. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. Rosin the Bow is produced by Joe and Paula McHugh in the studios of the Raven Radio Theater. Our theme music was arranged and performed by the string quartet, The Fretless. For more information about the Rosin the Bow project and to listen to additional podcasts, please visit our website, rosinthebow.org.